Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Attention pro athletes. Want to secure your financial legacy and thrive off the field? Oak Bridge Wealth Management, led by wealth manager Chris Anasetti, is your dedicated financial planning ally. But don't take it from me. Take it from the Dallas Cowboys' Tyler Biotish. He says, Chris set goals financially and has been incredibly impactful in my journey in the NFL. Experience our customized, comprehensive approach, trusted by top NFL players. Don't leave your financial success to chance. Connect with Chris on Instagram at OakbridgeWM underscore Anaceti. That's OakbridgeWM underscore A-N-I-C-E-T-E. And let Oakbridge Wealth Management guide you across the goal line. Welcome back to the Believe in Badgers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, presented by BetOnline.ag and Oakbridge Wealth Management. Once again, I'm Matt Perkins, joined as always by Badger legend, the Hebrew Hammer himself, Matt Bernstein. Bernie, how are we doing today? Uh, great. I think we have one of the most eclectic human beings potentially ever that we've had on our show. So I'm really excited to, to get into it and just chop it right up. Yeah, I'm really excited. We have former Marlins and Expos president, the host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson, uh, an ultra marathoner, a man who's been on Survivor, and someone whose uh, candor and insights I respect as much as anyone in the media, David Sampson. David, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for reaching out. When I saw Badgers, I said, I'm in. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we well, love to hear that. <laughs> Before we get into it, want to remind you guys that we are presented by BetOnline.ag, where they continue to be your number one source for all of your online sports wagering needs. You name it, they've got it over there at BetOnline.ag, especially with football season right around the corner and MLB pennant races in full swing. There's no better place to be anywhere in the world than BetOnline to place a, your wagers on any of the sports that you love. So head on over to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up and receive a 50% welcome bonus using our promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v bet online where the game starts we'll jump right into it here you grew up or you were born in milwaukee but grew up between milwaukee and new york and so what was your experience with sports and specifically wisconsin sports growing up i met lucius allen when i was four years old and my mom and dad were still married at the time and we lived in bayside which is a suburb of Milwaukee. And my mother was a art dealer and a young art dealer. When I look back and think how young she was, it's hard to imagine. <laughs> she was in her 20s. And she would sell art to people who played on the box. And this was, uh, I loved basketball. It was, it's always been my favorite sport. I always wanted to be a basketball player. I'm so angry with my mother for smoking and causing me to be five foot five. But that said, <laughs> Uh, I, I had a love for sports early and a love for business early, and I always followed the Milwaukee Bucks, but my true love ended up being the New York Knicks. I mean, that's me too. I'm a Knicks. It's hard to watch a little bit now, but. Uh, I was there for it, but I started back in seven, right after their title. So I started becoming a Knicks fan in 75, and they won it in 73. And I had a run from 75 to 99 before I got into baseball that was epic, but no rings. 
And so I am always very reticent to discuss the ring concept because for me, it's all about rings. And I got one in baseball, never got one in basketball. And for me, that's all that matters. There's winning and then there's everything else. <laughs> I love that because it's kind of true. It's, it's like very it, true. It's very true. There's winning, there's everything else. And so, um, David, you you came to Madison. You graduated 1990. What was your experience with sports at UW um, as a student? Were you into the Badgers at all? This is going to absolutely shock you, and I don't think I've ever said this publicly. So here we go. <laughs> I never went to a Badgers football game. I went to one Badgers basketball game, and that's when they were in the NCAA tournament. I loved every sport, every Badger sport, rooted for them, but I never wanted to leave the party. So I've been to a tailgate at Camp Randall numerous times, but I never felt the urge to go in when I could keep doing what I wanted to do on the outside. So I'm the parking lot guy, and I carried that into my adulthood. The Super Bowl, when I was president of the Marlins, the pro player where we played, now now Hard Rock Stadium, it was Dolphin Stadium, Landshark Stadium, the Prince Super Bowl, when it rained during halftime, that was in Miami, I spent the entire game in the parking lot. Interesting. Never went it, in. What is, why? Oh, because there's a lot of fun to be had in the parking lot. <laughs> For someone who considers himself a professional tailgater, there's a lot of fun to be had before the game. I, I agree. Also, in the 90s in Wisconsin was, was a wild time. So I was there from 87 to 90. I never okay. had a bad day. I, was, I went to high school in Riverdale, which is in New York, in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was the only person from my class who went to Wisconsin and now it's one of the most popular destination schools uh, for people outside of Milwaukee. And it used to be very much a Wisconsin place and everyone lived in either Celery or the Towers. And now it's completely changed and there's people from all over the country and the world. And I am very, very proud to be a Badger. Bernie and I both lived in the Towers, so we can empathize with that <laughs> as uh, out-of-state students from New York in Bernie's case or New Hampshire in my That's case. That's where you live. It's you don't have a choice. You, well, Bernie, you didn't have a choice. You were assigned. You didn't there have a choice. I wasn't mad that the football program said you have to live at the towers. I was like, oh, my people, this is great. I spent two years living above the Taco Bell on 536 State Street. And I uh, lived across from you. It's unreal. Uh, Ten years later, but across from you. Yeah, it was a top of Blockbuster. Did you ever once and I, and I think about this all the time when I talk to kids or give speeches to to students uh, high school students are talking about college and everyone is so stressed. If I don't get into this place, my life is over. My career's over. And I explained to them that uh, it's not just about the Ivies. It's not just, it's wherever you go, the experience you have will be really good for your future if you decide to do so. So at Wisconsin, you could get lost in the shuffle, not study, not go to class and not learn a thing and just party all the time. Or you could go to class all the time, learn a lot, and party three quarters of the time. Or you can find students who just want to study all the time and party none of the time. And I love that optionality that Wisconsin has. So they, how did you jump from not – but caring about the Badgers, not going to any games, then into your professional career of pretty much running teams for 20-something years? Well, that was just family, and that was luck. I went to law school after Wisconsin, became a uh, – I passed the bar, and I started a company in Europe 
on my own delivering newspapers to Europe. I was on Wall Street for several years, and I got a call from Jeffrey Loria, who at the time was married to my mom, my stepfather. And he said, hey, I need some help buying the Expos. And I said, well, I can do that with a lawyer. So one lawyer, one banker, myself, we did the transaction to buy the Expos for him. And he asked me to help run the team for a short period of time, which I did while at Morgan Stanley. And then he asked me to stay on. And I left Morgan Stanley, negotiated a contract with him. And I found that running a baseball team is no different than running a business in Europe. It's a business. And I was never really overtaken by the emotion of the players or, or thinking that I was all that you know, important. I was just running a team. And so everything was fine until my mother and stepfather got divorced in 2004. And I ended up telling my former stepfather, I'll, I'll keep working here. I'll just need my own lawyer when we negotiate contracts. And he had his own lawyer. And I stayed with him for 13 more years. And by the time he sold the team and Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman bought it, I was excited for my next chapter. I've always liked doing different things. I've always enjoyed the discomfort of not knowing your future. And I'd been in baseball for 18 years and it was enough, I was done. And then I went into media practically literally the next day. So we, you skipped over something I wanted to talk about really quickly and that's news travels fast because mm -hmm. for those of you who don't know David's story, this is one of the most fascinating things I've ever heard you talk about. So just, can you talk about the premise of news travels fast? Because thinking about that today, that could not exist in 2023. It couldn't exist in 1998. The, <laughs> the premise of it was that when I was young, I was lucky enough to be in Europe and I was a huge Knicks fan and I couldn't get a Knicks score. The, this is pre-internet. The only scores were in the International Herald Tribune, which is a printed newspaper owned half by the Washington Post and half by the New York Times. And the sports scores were always a day late. And I remember thinking to myself, this is absurd. How can I not get a score next day? So I would go to newsstands in Europe and they would have the Sunday New York Times available for sale, but on the following Wednesday or Thursday. And I remember thinking to myself, this is completely absurd. So after law school, when I didn't get the job that I really wanted, which was to be a district attorney in Manhattan, I said, I'm gonna try to sell newspapers because I think this can work. And to make a long story short that may be interesting to, to your audience, may not, it took a lot logistically to get the New York Times to Europe same day, but I was able to do it by getting the New York Times on the last flight out of Kennedy Airport Saturday night, and it would land in Paris on Sunday morning, and I made up distributions in different cities, and people had the Sunday Times in their hand on Sunday, and it was a great business. And then all of a sudden, the internet happened, and people were reading newspapers on their computer, and I thought, that's not going to last. This is ridiculous. <laughs> My clients love sitting on the beach in the south of France and getting their fingers dirty with ink. And then I realized I may have been wrong, and I, the greatest thing about that business, there was zero overhead. I bought papers. Talk about a declining asset. You buy papers on Saturday. If they're not sold, they're, they're toilet paper. So it's not like I didn't have a factory, I didn't have inventory. One day I just stopped and I started at Morgan Stanley and became an investment advisor doing financial derivatives for uh, clients who had concentrated equity positions. I loved it. 
had a great, great time, made great money. It was just, it was great. And so when I got the call from Jeffrey to help him with the expos, I thought, hey, this could be fun for a period of time. And it turned into an 18-year run. I, that's so cool. I want to touch on something you said because I think it brings it kind of to where we might be in college football, and I'd love to hear your your thoughts. You said with the Expos, you couldn't care as a GM. You couldn't care, didn't care. I'm sorry, I'm about the players' feelings. About the players' feelings, and I think that's one. That's a college coaching. You know, you get the kid in, and you don't really at that point they're there and they can either produce or not. And you really can't worry about the kid i think game has changed where you do care yeah let me but clarify because because you're saying i, didn't, it I, didn't, very I don't mean it rudely i just crudely. mean it like yes i'm sorry I, okay. I apologize i think you're right though you can't care about like i can't see the coaches caring about they can care about the kid but they cannot they need to put the best product on the field and win games or they're fired and their families out on the street so to say yeah so what you I, i'm just trying to say like how did you do that? Like, how do you separate that from like the human person you are <laughs> to like running a team? Well, and then what is that kind of a line like with today's NIL and the, you know, college sports? It's a great a whole- question. And let me start by saying that I'm divorced and I was not the best father. I was working all the time and baseball, the sports industry was people joke and say, oh, it's 24 seven, 365. But as president of a team, I made myself available. There were certain presidents who were not as available as I was, but I was always available. I always chose work. And when I say I didn't care about players' feelings, I want to be very clear with you. I had a job to do. It didn't interest me if fans didn't want this player traded or that player traded, or this player had a family and a kid in school and didn't want to go to another city and didn't want to be traded. That wasn't my job. My job was to try to lose as little money as possible, increase the value of the asset, and if possible, win games. And you have to do it with reckless indifference toward emotion. That was my view. There's some people who govern by feel and by emotion. I governed by rationality. I governed, I governed with the stomach test. If something didn't feel right to me, I didn't do it. If it felt right to me, I did. Knowing a blind spot for me was the wire nature of my personality and of my makeup, but it enabled me to run a business that was a complicated business in many ways and an easy business in many ways. Revenue, expenses. If your revenue is smaller than your expenses, someone has to make up the difference. And in baseball, that's the owner. And the owner can make it up with debt. He can make it up with cash, with equity, whatever the owner does, there are expenses that need to be paid. So my job was to match revenue and expenses. And if you're trying to cut, look what companies are doing today. It's way easier to cut a guy making 3 million than 30 guys making 100 grand. It's just way easier to do that. So that's what you saw ESPN did. That's what you see companies do. And they're doing it because it's the company that matters, not the employee. That sounds harsh. It sounds terrible, but it's true. And in college, what they are realizing is that the system they had, which is they make the revenue and there's no expenses on the employee side, that's a great model. That's a profitable model, which profits are used to subsidize less profitable models. Football subsidizes field hockey. It's very simple math. You have to profit from somewhere in order to make up for losses somewhere else. 
unless you choose not to have those losses. So colleges could say, forget field hockey. We're going to take the profits from football and we're going to build a building, let's say. But the players finally woke up and said, you know, without us, what do you have? We want the ability to make money. And the compromise has not impacted the way people think it would have. Nick Saban be damned in his comment that this is terrible, et cetera. It's just boosters doing things out in the open now. That's all. It's the same thing that's happened. We just know more about it. Yeah. And speaking of sort of all these transitions within college sports, one of the things I wanted to pick your brain about was something that you talked about, I think, a couple of weeks ago on Nothing Personal. And that is the consolidation of power within college athletics, specifically what looks like it's going to be uh, in three conferences. Say goodbye to the Pac-12. It's the Pac-4 now. What do you, benefits do you see in this consolidation and what drawbacks do you see? It's the old story. Competition breeds innovation. So the question is, are we in a worse position where the power five is not the power five? Is the EPL and football overseas or soccer overseas, are they in a better position with the Super League? Is relegation a real thing that could ever translate and come to the United States? Everybody's trying to figure out what to do with the back of the pack under the theory that you're only as strong as your weakest link. And that's a good business theory. But as we used to say to the Yankees when we were the Marlins, we would say, you've got to keep paying us money because who are you going to play? The Red Sox every day? You think that fans would buy tickets to 160 Red Sox games or ESPN would take 160 Red Sox games? You need a league. My view is that college needs conferences. It needs the haves and the have-nots, it needs to share revenue. But in terms of power conferences or Pac-12, Pac-4, the Big Ten, which is 16, to me, they're all going to continue to consolidate and change. And the entity that's going to fight it the most is the entity that will disappear the soonest, and that's the NCAA. And so I think what you're seeing now is the NCAA realize that they're not as relevant as they used to be. And when people feel that way, they do things to get relevant. So they try to peacock a little bit. And so I think that's a lot of what's happening. But we're far from done here, Matt. Uh, there will be more changes within college sports. Do you, what do you suggest would be the best? How many conferences? What, 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 do you, what, what is like your vision of like the future in NCAA? What could be the best possibility? I think rivalries always are the best for me. So... There are certain rivalries that are part of college sports and giving TV networks what they want is important. Giving fans what they want is also important though. So you can't assume that you're gonna draw 100,000 people to the big house and it's never gonna change and everything's gonna be fine. Or that if Wisconsin doesn't have natural rivals that no one will care because they just love the Badgers that much. You have to keep some of that excitement, but the real money has always been in playoffs, in every sport. Single elimination, even better. But series like they have in basketball and baseball, still good. So I believe that the college football playoff, which has now expanded, I think you're going to see a college football tournament of sorts, like the NCAA tournament, where there are teams playing and you're building toward a national champion in that way because there will be ways to monetize it the way college basketball has. 
So I think that college football is going to continue to evolve. But what college presidents are doing now is they're thinking about field hockey. They're trying to decide how much money do we need to keep giving to programs that lose money. And we know this is happening because with the college realignment, there's been a lot of talk of travel. There's been a lot of talk of how are we going to get this team from here to there? That's never been talked about before. That's the beginning of the end for programs that operate at a loss. Eugene to Piscataway is an interesting travel for <laughs> within the Big Ten. <laughs> it's something. And I happen to love Rutgers uh, and because their president is, is a good friend. So I give you that. But uh, it's definitely an issue. And that's why when this is the expression I'd like to give you, it's all going to work out in the end. And if it's not working out, it's not the end. And that is what I feel college sports is, is, is happening right now. But David, do you, th do you see like a, like a Michigan, Ohio state playing three times a season then? So, cause if they're playing for the big 10 and then they jump into a, you know, 10, 12 person, is it 12 people, 12, 12 team, team, I mean, 12 team. I mean, how could you not, if they're the number three and four, you're going to, they could potentially match up again. And I think that that would be outstanding. I would have no problem with that at all. As a network and as a, a, a driver of revenue, I would not have an issue with Michigan and Ohio State playing three times in a year because when there's something to play for and it's win or go home, that's exciting. Interesting. Attention athletes. Do you want a frictionless and tailored financial planning experience to secure your future? Well, look no further. Introducing Oak Bridge Wealth Management the premier financial planning firm for professional athletes. Led by wealth manager, Chris Anasetti, our team provides a unique and comprehensive approach, ensuring your financial success both on and off the field. We understand the unique challenges you face as a professional athlete, from managing cash flow habits to planning major business purchases and navigating complex contracts. That's why we've developed a proven process, working closely with our strategic partners to provide seamless solutions for your unique financial journey. Our services evolve with your career, offering short, mid, and long-term goal setting, portfolio optimization, real estate investments, and more. As you transition to life beyond the field, we support you with career development and philanthropic ventures. But don't just take our word for it. Top NFL players like Chase Roulier, Tyler Biotish, Alec Ingold, and more trust Oak Bridge Wealth Management to guide them towards financial success. Troy Dye of the Minnesota Vikings says, I really love the work that Chris and the rest of the Oak Bridge group do. I especially like the honesty and transparency when it comes to setting up financial goals and plans that best fit my needs and situation. It's time to elevate your financial game plan. Connect with Chris on Instagram at OakbridgeWM underscore Anacete. That's OakbridgeWM underscore A-N-I-C-E-T-E. -E. And join the winning team. So you mentioned the network as one of the main drivers here in conference consolidation and realignment because the TV money is, which, is what's driving all of this. One of the other things that one of the other fonts of money that has recently come into athletics in the past 10 years is the legalization of sports gambling. And we've seen issues with 
you know, Iowa, Iowa State players getting caught gambling. And we're going to see more of these stories. It's just a fact of life. 18-year-olds with the ability to gamble, 21-year-olds, whatever, they're going to gamble and they're going to get in trouble. Where do you see the intersection of gambling and the NCAA going in the next five to 10 years? I should say college athletics, because in my personal view, the NCAA is going to be relegated to being in control of all the non-revenue sports while football, men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball might break off into something else. But how do you see gambling affecting college sports, specifically football in the next decade? The scary thing that you said is the kids who gamble when you've got money and you're 18, you gamble. I'm way more worried about the kids who don't have money who gamble because the kids who don't have money and gamble and lose are then subject to the possibility of doing things that you don't want them to do to get the money because unlike our national debt, you gotta pay when you lose gambling. You, you, you have no choice. You can't kick it down the, the road. And so the competitive integrity of the on-field product is what all these leagues are trying to protect. It's what college football, Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, they know their players are gambling. What they're working with the companies and the gambling companies and on IP addresses and on all these rules like what the NFL has, they're just trying to make sure that given that they know, here, you know what? I can say this on a podcast, right? This is the concept of giving out condoms at school. You can be against it, you can be for it. You can say, I don't believe in premarital sex. You can say, this is ridiculous, but guess what? High school kids are having sex. It's like the free needle exchange. I don't want people doing drugs. I'd like to treat them, but hey, let's not spread AIDS. This is the concept when it comes to gambling. People are going to gamble. So let's put a framework in place, like with weed. Let's put a framework in place that it's legalized, it's regulated, and we know when it's being done, it's being done in a safe way that will not in any way impact the competitive integrity of the product on the field. We're not there, but we're definitely getting there. And you're seeing leagues work together with the gambling companies. You're going to see college work together, NCAA, et cetera, with the gambling companies to figure out how best to protect everyone's interest, which is based, of course, on money. Because the TV networks don't pay the WWE, which is scripted, what they pay the NFL or for college football. It, does this also because you're gonna have alcohol sold at the Cole Center, which is the basketball arena in Wisconsin, but not at Camp Randall? When does that change? I mean, we're talking money. That's an absurd amount of money made. Now, there's a lot of risk and safety factors into it too, but they already do it at a lot of other universities. I feel like this is something that it's absurd. Is kind of in the same. The drinking age should be 18. It's absolutely absurd. I, I don't <laughs> understand why it's not. Uh, if you're able to vote, you're able to drink and then make choices. If you make bad choices, you suffer consequences. Our penal system says if you're over 18, guess what? You got a problem if you do something as an adult and you're an adult in most cases. So I, uh, I've always believed that's like stopping alcohol sales in the seventh inning. I used to hate doing that. Like why? <laughs> what, we're trying to protect against people drinking and driving? except we're developing around our ballpark to make sure people go get drinks after the game in order to help with traffic. And we're taking your money when you drink it in Wrigleyville or outside Fenway Park. Oh, but not in your seat. We want you to go to a bar that we own. 
It's it's so absurd. I can hardly believe it. Well, David, so when you were when you were president of a team, was there a lot of alcohol incidents? Or was, was that not such a big deal? It was once in a while you had drunk people you had to kick out. It's like you're throwing a party, in my case, sometimes only for 5,000 people, sometimes for <laughs> 25,000 people. Either way, it's a pretty big party. And sometimes at parties, there's someone vomiting on the lawn. That's just how it is. And you sort of hold their forehead, you put them in an Uber and say, hope you feel better. But the party doesn't stop. I, I, I actually love everything you're saying. I agree that 18 should be the the limit. And now you're saying also you people can sign up to go to the military at 18. They can't drink a beer. That to me is, is it's kind of crazy, but I think camp Randall will have alcohol sooner rather than later. And I think they're all worried that it's going to be some kind of huge, everyone's going to fall down drunk in the stadium. And I just don't believe that to be true. So when I was a kid, uh, there was no candy allowed in my house and I was only allowed TV on Saturday mornings after I'd done my homework. The minute I got to college, all I did was watch TV and eat candy. <laughs> Meanwhile, I had friends who grew up with a TV in their room, had Snickers whenever they wanted it. And when they got to school, they were like, oh, what are you doing, David? Well, I'm watching these shows. Well, why? Well, because I can. So I've been a believer and we're all guilty of our backgrounds and, and our upbringings. And I am not impugning my mother in any way at all or my father or stepfather, stepmother, none of them. I may have done things similar and differently, made my own mistakes, obviously, big mistakes. But what's the big deal? It, you think that people at Wisconsin on State Street are gonna have 20 beers on State Street, but in Camp Randall they have 50 beers because they can? It, it's absurd. If it's available, most people drink responsibly and the ones who don't will get in trouble. It's the same at a frat party. Absolutely, and it's, if they're worried about sales in the stadium, they, they're not aware of what's going on outside the stadium because by the time most people enter the game, they are incapable of drinking a whole lot more. And by the way, that's because there's no alcohol in Camp Randall, so people feel as though they have to binge drink in order to be effed up and drunk before the game starts so, they, so the buzz can last or they sneak it in or they try to game the system. That's why, to me, it's silly. All right, we only have you for a, another couple minutes here. I have a million questions, but um, you famously watch a movie every single day. I do. Which is incredible to me, especially as someone who went to grad school for film. Um, the, 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 you've watched more <laughs> movies than me is, is, is quite impressive. What's the best sports movie, documentary or narrative film that you've watched in the past year? So that's it. So just so you know, this is not rehearsed. I didn't know what questions. I don't ask for questions to be submitted. The answer is, I don't know, but I have a list and I'm Let's gonna do look. It. Let's hear so it. So this is a list on my phone, on my notes of every movie I watch. So I keep the list. And then when I review it on Nothing Personal or on The Levitard Show, I put a star next to it to show that I've reviewed it. So you're asking me for the top sports documentary that I've seen. Or narrative film. Okay, go to the next question. I'm gonna listen to the question, answer the question, and look. <laughs> All right. And I'm going to multitask for you. I love to hear that. I love to hear that. Okay. <laughs> what piece of advice would you have for someone who wants to get into the sports business side, the management side that you did, the, if they want to be a team president? What is the best piece of advice either that you got or that you would have for someone? So there's two things that are critical. Number one, don't ever apply to a job and say, 
I'm a huge fan of this team. I've been a lifelong fan of the Milwaukee Brewers. I want to work for the Brewers. I threw out those resumes. I don't care. We're a business. I'm not interested. I've been a fan of the Marlins since I was born. What? You can't be a fan when you're, what are you, six months old watching Marlins games? You're trying too hard. Two, you want to be in baseball? I love it. If you get a job in lacrosse, take it. And I mean lacrosse, Wisconsin, as well as the sport. You ha- we had our executives with the Marlins. We had people who had worked in hockey, people who worked in football, basketball, lacrosse, soccer. It is transferable. By the way, that's not my dog for those listening at home. It's I do mine. not have a dog. Okay, I just want I to don't clarify either. that. <laughs> so you have to be willing uh, to move and you have to be willing to work in a sport that you thought you didn't want to work in. And you have to be willing to work in an industry where the majority of people don't work hard and don't really understand what it is to work hard because they're too busy fanboying it. And those people will come and go. And if you don't want to be that person, then put your blinders on and don't worry that other people are not working hard. And here's why I say that. I used to get very upset when I would see people not working until I changed my mindset and realized that someone next to me spending their day on the internet or spending their day gambling or whatever they're doing, I'm spending my day working, but I'm the one who's going to have a career. I'm the one who's going to get a bigger bonus. I'm the one who management will know that I have the goods. So I actually embraced people who were not working hard because by definition, comparatively, it would make me look better. Because we all want to be basketball players and baseball players. We want to believe like all the movie stars are all so happy and live the most glamorous life. It's not true. A lot of people on sports teams, a lot of athletes, they don't even like the sport they're playing. Them going to work is like most people going to work. They're like, hey, Nikola Jokic, perfect example. Remember what he said at the end of winning the NBA title this year? He just wanted to go back to his horse farm. I can't wait to go home. (laughs) Like it's the season's over. Thank God. It's like, aren't you going to celebrate? Yeah, I'm going to celebrate that I get to go home. What about the parade? No. Are they going to make me go to the parade? I'll go, but I don't want to do that. It's so <laughs> normal and it's so common. And I think people would be shocked by that. All right, I, I got a movie it, for you. Oh, okay, hit us. The best movie I've seen sports related this year was a movie called Bill Russell Legend. It's a documentary about the life of Bill Russell. And I absolutely learned a lot. And the reason why I mention it is as a Knicks fan, I hate the Celtics. Everything about the Celtics, everything they do, all the gamesmanship from turning off the air conditioning in the visiting locker room to Red Arback and his cigars and the cockiness of those teams, hate them. But you know what? I always respected them and the way they were able to win because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. And this movie about Bill Russell and the life he had, I was never aware. I learned something and I love learning. So that would be a movie I'd suggest to people. That is perfect. And I think that is a perfect way to wrap it up here today. I have a million more questions I'd like to ask you, David, but we're going to be cognizant of your time. You're a very busy man. Uh, Make sure that you are tuning in to Nothing Personal with David Sampson every single day, 8 a.m. Eastern, live on YouTube as part of the Levitard and Friends Network, part of Meadowlark Media. Uh, David, where can people find you on social media? Uh, At David P. Sampson on Twitter and Instagram. And the show has a website, davidsampsonpodcast.com. We have merch, we've got episodes, we've got cool stuff going on on the website. And I'll tell you, Matt Squared, I will do this again because there are things left unsaid, I'm sure. So let's plan for something toward uh, the end of the college football season, maybe. But I would love to, uh, if invited, if your audience allows it, 
I'd love to come back. Well, as the producer, oh, I'm allow- as the producer, it's my choice and I'm allowing it. So yeah. uh, you will definitely be back. Make sure, like me, you are tuning in every morning to Nothing Personal. Thank you. What is it, 867 episodes, I think you're at That's now? That's the numbered episodes, but we've done almost 1,000 because we do sit-down interviews. We do mailbag episodes. So we've been doing it since October of 2019. And the first listener was my aforementioned mother. I had one download the first episode, I believe. And uh, it's grown and grown. And my advice to everybody, uh, podcasting is a little like being an athlete in that uh, you have to be really good and you have to stick to it. You have to grind. And it's way more work than people think. Especially when you're going daily. That is one of the hardest things to do in the entire world. So shout out to you um, for bringing some the best sports business information knowledge that there is in my opinion anywhere out there on the internet so uh and thank you everyone for tuning in here to the believe in badgers podcast on the believe podcast network presented by betonline.ag and oakbridge wealth management and until next time on wisconsin on wisconsin on wisconsin baby thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.